up, everybody? Welcome to Let's Talk Markets with Dave Lauer. I am your co-host, Pink, and today we have a very special guest, Lee Schneider. Now, Dave, I want to touch base with you before we get started because I'm super jealous, and you got to go see Bruce Springsteen, and I think you gave him a peptic ulcer even. Like, you saw him right before he had to take a break. Yeah. How was that? I want to I want to hear about it. I can't I can't say enough about the boss. All right. Look, I'm from Jersey and it, you know, there's it's a there's no way around it. You love the boss. That's just how it works, right? And so I actually I went down to Jersey to see him and you know, the boss in the Meadowlands, they don't they don't call it the Meadowlands, I don't know, MetLife State, whatever it is. It it was it was special and it, it was great. Like at one point when he when he first started the show, he's like, "What's up, Jersey?" and everyone starts screaming because you're like, "This is the only time we can be proud of being from Jersey!" <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so great. And I, you know, awesome. I just I can't say enough about the guy. It was just I've seen him. This was only my second show, which is like there's no excuse being from Jersey that I've only seen him twice, but. You know, I left. I left New Jersey. Don't when I was let anybody and, see your punch card. You know. I mean, yeah, I know it's not. It's, it's only not, two it's punches. Gosh. You know, but I, I got away from Jersey for a long time. So, you know, I made my way back. I saw him. You know, I think in his previous tour, and then this one. Um, and you know, I hope he's okay. I hear he has an ulcer. Um, again, very common if you're from Jersey. It's very anxiety-inducing and stress-ridden <laughs> state. Um, and, uh, but I, I can't get over the guy. He's he, he's he's old, right? He's an older guy. He's an older gentleman. He's in his, in his early seventies, and he just rocks so hard. And the whole band. And he doesn't amazing. stop. What was doesn't it? Three stop. four hours. He, like he, he played for us for three and a half hours, and I'm telling you, he didn't even good. pause between songs. It wasn't like okay, song ends, take a break, take a step, sip of water, so, you know what? No, nothing. And it was like Ed, as he's finishing every song, he's going right into the next. The rest of the band also really old they got to take pee breaks you know twice during the show he doesn't care he's like all right give me the acoustic i'm gonna like i'm gonna play a a solo song a beautiful song he he, he tells you stories i i mean it was just an experience it it was the best thing and i hope he gets out there back out there soon i really hope i'm gonna do i'm gonna brag for a second i'm gonna i'm gonna brag about uh my what I think is some high level dadding. Okay, I I got tickets for my daughter's twelfth birthday to see the boss up here in Canada. Oh, that's and, awesome! And, and yeah, and to me, it's like that's the first concert she's gonna remember is going with dad to see the boss, even if it is in Canada. You that know? is but, epic, right? Yes. Right? And so yes, you, I'm, did, I'm you definitely deserve a, a dad trophy for that. That's I, I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. Yes. There's no. nothing better than taking your kids to concerts, you know. We, yeah, I mean, right? different and, and genre, yeah. but you you got to go see your favorite bands when you can. It's really important. I mean, you, you never know when it might you be your know. last opportunity to see them. So, right? yeah. even if it's Fall Out Boy and you're reliving, you know, senior year 2004, do it. <laughs> go for it. Okay. <laughs> You guys, you guys are making me feel incredibly old right now. If senior year was two thousand four, um, I wasn't well, quite I in high school when Born to Run came out, but uh, <laughs> I, I was I was pretty close to being in high school when Born to Run came out. So. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, See, there you go. Did well, you, you have you seen the boss? Lee? <clears throat> uh, I saw him in nineteen eighty one. I think. 
That's awesome. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. These performances I mean, can he, span he, generations, you know? Like that's and, just and and he 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 played a four hour show and they didn't take any breaks and it was was amazing then. Um it was a big deal when that uh I'm gonna say old words double album of his uh of his concert came out uh, mm. double cd of his concert live concert came out it was a big deal for everybody who'd been to see him live because he was known for giving such great shows and um yeah it was it was very cool so let me let me take a second here um to to, to say this uh, one thing that was um i would say somewhat emotional at the show that we saw was that he was playing mostly or maybe half the songs were from the rising um and that was the album he put out after september 11th um and you know today actually is september 11th that we're recording this it'll probably be out later on but you know i I think that was especially in the location that we were at in north jersey and, and such you know that was something very touching and 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 emotional i think it's been an emotional day for a lot of people today so um it it kind of just reminded me of that and um it's a it's a tough day and a lot of people think about where they were that day um and you know i think i don't know what to say about it other than uh you know it's it's important to remember what happened um because as we get further and further away from it you know it means less to to kids and and to as you get younger and younger and and i think for a lot of us it was so such a jarring experience and now um, we're further away. So it's important to remember what happened and now it's getting all depressing. And so let's move on to happier topics. There's a beautiful nine 11 Memorial in white plains, by the way. Um, and I used to take my kid before my kids went off to college and now they've graduated college and they both just got jobs. So, uh, and I've taken them to lots of concerts. You should take, um, you should take full credit for that. You okay. should uh, you should definitely take your daughter to Cheap Trick because Cheap Trick is awesome. Is that a good show? Also, yeah. it was a great show. Um, but uh, but I used to take my daughters there every year on nine eleven um, because you know it was a it was a it was a crazy day and I want them to remember what what that was all about. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very I was much just a at the memorial. Period. Right, the day after the concert, I was down in in Lower Manhattan and we were at the memorial just. Yeah, it is. It's a good place to visit that, you know, I've been to the White Plains one. I've been to the one at Ground Zero and yeah, it's a, it's a special place now. Um, definitely. I think they did it justice. It, you know, it's a good, a good memorial. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, we will. <laughs> From uh, the sublime to the ridiculous. Forward. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> let's That's talk what crypto. we do. <laughs> yes. Let's talk crypto. So today, Lee, uh, just to get you guys familiar with Lee, Lee is our guest today. Lee A. Schneider is a financial services and technology lawyer with extensive experience in blockchain. Lee co-hosts, or he you can find him where he previously co-hosted, the Appetite for Disruption podcast uh, with Troy Peretti's and is the contributing editor for the Chambers and Partners FinTech Practice Guide. He co-founded Global Blockchain Convergence and is active with a number of other organizations. Lee also serves as general counsel for Ava Labs. And like we said, we're here to talk crypto today. So thanks for joining us today, Lee. Thank you. Real pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to great to have you on. Lee and I have known each other for a long time now. Lee uh, helped me out um, almost feels like another lifetime ago. Um, <laughs> Yes. Start, 
to start a nonprofit focused on market structure advocacy. Imagine that. Um, and uh, we're right back. The more things that. change, the more they stay the same. That's right. Exactly. Um, but you left the, the world of, mar- of equity market structure and equity regulation and law and, and the maybe traditional securities. And you went into digital currency before most people, I think, were really paying much attention to them. So I think you were pretty early on that. Um, I, w- I was comparatively early, but definitely not the earliest. And um, there, there are lots of lawyers who were practicing in the area before I really started devoting full time to it. Um, lots of great lawyers who I'm friendly with. Uh, so a shout out to all of them. Okay. So now you're at Avalanche, Ava Labs, um, and the Avalanche is a one of the cryptocurrencies that I th- I think very highly. Of. In fact, I I think more highly of it than let's say anything else um, other than maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum. I I think it's got the better technology stack out there, better features, uh, you know, but I think it'd be great if you could give a quick intro, you know, what is Avalanche? What do you do there? And and how does it fit into the broader crypto ecosystem? Sure. So I work for Avalabs, which is um, a, a blockchain software company that works on the Avalanche public blockchain, among other things. Um, at the Avalanche public blockchain is a blockchain ecosystem. It's a layer one, just like Ethereum or Bitcoin or, um, you know, Solana or Cosmos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we like to think that our technology is really good, but we also live in a world where there are many chains. There is not one chain to rule them all, so to speak. Um, one of the uh, nice things about the Avalanche technology is the ability to do customized subnets. Uh, we call them subnets. Uh, they are really separate blockchains. So uh, the main primary network has three blockchains, and there's an SDK. You can build your own blockchain, build and launch your own blockchain anytime you want. And so that customization allows for some really cool things if you want to have a super compliant blockchain that takes account of the laws and rules in your jurisdiction, you can do that. If you want to have a completely open permissionless blockchain, you can do that. If you want to have something in between, you can do that. And so there's a level of experimentation that comes with Avalanche, not exclusively, but definitely we're one of the, one of the few that has this capability. And, and I think Avalanche is pretty unique at, in terms of its level of decentralization. Is that something that you guys pay a lot of attention to in terms of how it ranks relative to others? It, it's something that I pay a lot of attention to primarily because there are some people who don't believe that decentralization is a real thing. And um, it, it's, it's interesting. There, there's been a number of, uh, there's been a number of, papers and reports from, from government and intergovernmental agencies over the last couple of years suggesting that decentralization is not a real thing, that it's an illusion. Um, the most mm-hmm. interesting thing mm-hmm. about it is they never define what they mean by decentralization. So of course, it's easy to say that something doesn't exist when you don't define it. But um, you know, to, to me, this question of decentralization is part of the reason that I got interested in blockchain in the first place and really decided to pursue it as my 
as as the main focus of of my legal practice, I really like this idea of having decentralized systems. And in particular, the internet was already a decentralized system. Now what we have is decentralized databases that build on top of the internet, which to me is a really cool thing. It's really pushing the internet to its next phase and making the internet a better, safer, more user-friendly place. So um, I, I think decentralization is very cool. Uh, the consensus mechanism for Avalanche, called Avalanche Consensus, does support uh, a great degree of decentralization. And um, so from my perspective, that's, that's another attractive feature about being in the Avalanche ecosystem. Yeah, I'm, I I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it, I think that even technology aside, I think the decentralized mindset that crypto has brought is incredibly powerful, um, and the it, it it has changed. I think the way people think about a lot of different things, but the technology to enable that, I, I think, is it. You know, I remember when I first saw. I actually saw Emmons uh, talk about the avalanche consensus mechanism and it just blew my mind (laughs) you know like that was my introduction to avalanche and i was like this is something really really impressive and unique in the space um and so you know i i think that you guys are right to sort of hang your hat on that um and to push back but i look i think that there are probably a lot of times where policymakers are or regulators are correct that things that are just because you call something decentralized doesn't make it that. Um, yeah, that's and, right. Right, and and you find very concentrated chains um, across crypto that really, uh, I, I think it's tough to, I think it stretches uh, credulity to say that they're decentralized. But but that is one thing that Avalanche absolutely is, um, and and that does, I think, play a role in in, in as sort of a underlying theme for some of the conversation mm-hmm. we're about to have. But let's let's start with. Um, you know, Sorry, Dave. I just I just want to add two notes to what you just said. Look, I think decentralization is important, and it it solves some computer real computer science problems, mm-hmm. right? Leaving aside everything else, you know, creating Byzantine fault tolerant systems s- solves some real computer uh, computer science problems. Um, that that said, uh, you don't need every system to be decentralized. And so there are good arguments to have centralized systems in certain circumstances. And the flexibility of avalanche subnets allowing everything from fully decentralized to fully centralized systems is another selling point. So I I don't want people to walk away from, from this conversation to think, oh, Schneider thinks decentralization is the only way. That, that's not the case. I've actually been uh, an advocate for both centralized and decentralized blockchains for uh, in, in different circumstances for different reasons. And, and again, it's this ability to customize things that to me is important. All that said, I see the arguments for decentralization, right? I, I mean, it, it it solves real computer science problems. Yeah, even even something that is not very decentralized can be very powerful, right? Like, you know, if you yes. have a bunch of banks getting together to build a, you know, permissioned blockchain, but one in which there is a consensus mechanism, 
uh, I think that's a really, th th there are very interesting applications to blockchain technology, right? That, that yeah. go beyond maybe financialization, which is most, most of what we have seen so far. Um, I don't know. Do you consider uh, NFT collectibles financialization? <laughs> I mean, like uh, uh, I look I, at crypto no. kitties, I'm not seeing much financialization there. No. Or, um, although, you know, how, how popular are NFTs now that we are out of the NFT bubble? Oh, uh, well, I mean, look, all of these things go in phases, right? I remember when sure. I was a kid growing up, the pet rock came out and people went and <laughs> bought pet rocks. And my dad told me, go in the backyard and find a rock and make it your pet rock. I'm not going <laughs> to spend, you know, $10 on that stupid thing. But uh, now you can NFT you know, that so, rock. <laughs> <laughs> like an NFT that, yeah. So, so uh, look, I, 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 uh, if if there is one big thing that blockchain has has made me reevaluate, it's how people ascribe value to things, yeah. and things that I find valuable, other people don't, and things that other people find valuable, I don't necessarily find valuable, um, and so value is perhaps like beauty in the eye of the beholder. I mean, yeah, um, look, I've got a weird NFT collection across Ethereum and Avalanche. And, you know, I'm not arguing that it's got like, you know, it, it was, uh, I caught a, got caught up in the speculation too. And you it, think maybe it, it was a fun thing. Cool. And here's right. some things that might have value. And, you know, what are you going to do? You get some NFTs out of it and most of them are worthless, but actually some of them are pretty cool. And some people have sent me some very cool NFTs over the years that I, I very much appreciate. Yeah, I, I mean, look, um, if if you're in the NFT world to make money, more power to you. If you're in the NFT world to have some cool stuff, more power to you. Uh, I know lots of sneakerheads who, no matter how much you would pay them for some of their sneakers, they would not uh, part with them. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so like I said, value is in the eye of the beholder and having that pair of sneakers or having that crypto kitty or crypto punk or well you might uh, appreciate my... this lee we we did a, a petition when we started our advocacy efforts we, with we the investors we we put a petition together to gary gensler and we got almost seventy-two thousand signatures too on it um, and that got us a meeting with the chair it got us you know a, a pretty good seat at the table as these equity market structure reforms are all being considered and uh, to thank everyone that signed it, we issued an NFT, uh, you know, not, <laughs> not as something with value, just as a, as a commemorative thing, right? Like exactly. we were here, exactly. you, you were part of this. And we, yep. we ended up minting something like 40,000 NFTs and it was awesome. Yeah. And, and that kind of stuff is great. Uh, you know, uh, and I know I'm, I'm, I've, I've sent us off on a complete tangent here, Dave, and I apologize <laughs> for that, but I told you, you know, one of the one of the big use cases that that I like for NFTs is concert tickets. Speaking of your Bruce Finkstein experience, <laughs> uh, right? Like that. That's a great way. When when I was when I was a kid, um, wasn't quite before computers, but let's just say it was before computers, <laughs> right? Well, I would go to a concert and I would save the ticket stub from the concert. Right. They didn't even, did that, even scan yeah. a barcode then. Right. They yeah. actually ripped the ticket. I would save the ticket stubs to, you know, show that I went to see, you know, yes, or David Bowie or the police or whoever I went to see. I, and and 
I would go buy a t-shirt from the show. Yeah. Right. Cause that's how I, you know, that, that was my memory. That's how I kept those memories. My wife hates now you my can collection do that with of 30 year old t-shirts. Let me tell you. My daughters wore out all of my, <laughs> my t-shirts, including my Manor Astroman t-shirt, which was one of my favorites, but um, all good. All good. All right. So, all right, let's move on from NFTs. Let's talk um, SEC and crypto. Um, you think that the SEC is off base with its classification of many crypto tokens or chains as securities. Um, so I, I'd love you to walk us through why. We've, we've, had, we've talked to a couple of people on the podcast um, sort of all along the spectrum, but I think you're, you're further on the side of the SEC is wrong here. And, and I think that'd be great to hear you know, where you're coming at with that. Sure. And, and let me just say, I understand what the SEC is trying to do. And I, all I'm saying is, I think they, they haven't quite got the interpretation of the Howey test right. Um, I, I understand that investor protection is important. I understand that preventing fraud is important. I'm, I'm not questioning any of those things. Um, when I first started in this area and I would give, give talks or presentations about, about tokens and, and the law and everything, uh, I would tell people, you know, there's five super important things that you should always remember. And the first one is don't commit fraud. Right, like people should not be in this to commit fraud and and rug pulls and mm -hmm. you know pig butchering and all the other bad stuff that goes on. Um, what, but but what I'm saying is, look, the way Howie works, the way Howie reads, is that there's a contract transaction or scheme, and those are the words in the Supreme Court decision. That might be an investment contract that might meet the definition of investment contract. So that arrangement, if you will, is a security, not the subject of the arrangement. And as people may know, in the original Howey case was about orange groves and oranges. Um, and the court in Howey doesn't say that oranges are securities because everybody would recognize that that's patently absurd. What they say is there's an investment contract related to oranges and orange groves. And a few courts have actually recognized this. I've been pushing the meme oranges are not securities for a while. I think I'm the only person who pushes that meme, but <laughs> we'll help know, boost whatever. that signal, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm happy to have my own meme that nobody else pays attention to. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, but right, even in the most uh, recent decision, Judge Rakoff said, uh, this is in the Terraform decision, mm -hmm. Judge Rakoff said that orange groves are not securities. And, and you know, that's 100% right. There can, however, be an investment contract about oranges and orange groves, right. just like there can be an investment contract about securities. And so my point is the SEC just needs to sharpen up the way they talk about this so that everybody is looking at it through the same lens and saying that the sale of tokens constitutes an investment contract, you know, that might be right, but it's leading to a lot of confusion from people 
that the tokens that the SEC views that the tokens themselves are securities. And in fact, in the a brief seeking interlocutory appeal on the Ripple case, the SEC actually said that they were never arguing that XRP was a security or that Terra or Luna were securities. They were arguing that there were investment contracts related to those tokens. Um, if that's really the direction of travel for the SEC, um, I heartily applaud that uh, because that I think is the correct interpretation of how. So do you think that, all right, let, let's, let's look at XRP for a second here because I think it's a good, it's a good example of what I think, I, I mean, first of all, the decision struck me at least as very odd. Um, and, and I think Judge Rakoff acknowledged that um, in his subsequent decision. So now, um, it's, you know, to me, it's not clear what the precedent is because both of these decisions came in the Southern District. But um, the, the, the idea that a token sale can be an investment contract makes total sense to me. But then the thing that was the subject of that investment contract when it's traded on a secondary market can suddenly not be a security I find that to be quite confusing, and I, I especially find it to be a little backwards because it seems like, and, and not intentionally, I don't think, but it seems like the SEC in, it is put in the position where the securities laws will there, therefore protect the institutional investors, the sophisticated ones participating in you know, this initial offering, but now the, the, the retail investor, the individual investor who's trading on the secondary market suddenly doesn't get the protection of securities laws. Isn't, isn't that a big problem? So, so a couple things here. First of all, it, it should not be surprising to you that a secondary market sale of a token that was the subject of an investment contract is not itself a security. Any more than when you go to a grocery store to buy oranges, those are not securities, right? The subject of the investment contract is not the security. It's the contract transaction or scheme. It's the arrangement, the particular arrangement that is the security. But, but when uh, the so, orange was sold to the grocer in this example, the, the orange wasn't a security. Like that arrangement wasn't a security either, right? And, and the orange wasn't being sold with the, the presumption that the value of it is going to increase based on the you know, the farmer's efforts, uh, right? Are you sure. It, I mean, uh, yeah. look, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just fence with you on this, right? Okay. But sure. uh, look, there are plenty of situations where uh, consumers differentiate between the quality of the fruit or the type of the fruit uh, that is sold. Um, and some of that fruit may have more or less value given a variety of market conditions, right? Uh, yeah, so, of course. No, I, I, right. I, I, I and, totally and agree with that, sure. But I don't know that that applies in this. I, I, I think it's... Why doesn't it apply in this situation? Because in this situation... And, 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 and leave, leave, leave that aside for a minute, because it's, it's, it's mostly not worth fencing about, right? Because I think your bigger question is, why should institutional uh, buyers get... get protections of the securities laws, yes, but, but not but the retail at, people. Look at this part of it, which is when when the, the XRP token was sold to institutional investors, it was 
clearly a fundraising mechanism whose value was being tied towards the, the team that was behind it and to their success in getting XRP to be relatively ubiquitous for money transfer, right? I mean, I, I can tell you as a retail investor who did buy XRP on the secondary market, like that's exactly how I thought of it. And I thought I was buying something and, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good example maybe, but I thought I was buying something whose value was going to go up as XRP proliferated and became the standard for money transfer potentially, right? So I, it, all the information from the initial institutional offering was out there for individual investors as well. And, you know, a lot of it was being sold to people in the same way, I thought. So a couple things about that, Dave. Um, you're entitled to think whatever you want when you buy anything. Uh, and you're entitled to think of it as an investment or not. I think we already established that you thought of some of your NFTs as investments, <laughs> but I think you uh, don't think that those were securities. But um, but li leaving that aside, let, right? Let, yeah. th there are, you use the term uh, fundraise. And I don't want to talk about the particular facts of XRP and Ripple because I'm just not that familiar with them, right? When I read the judge's opinion, I paid no attention to the fact and I went straight to what the ruling was and, and try to understand um, the, the basis for the ruling, which had some factual context, but not exclusively. It was mostly as a matter of law of the interpretation there. Right. So, so look, there when you say fundraising right that that's a word that's designed to uh, or maybe that's two words i don't know is fundraising one word no, or two one words word. but anyway <laughs> it, it it's a word that is designed to have a particular meaning because of the way the sec talks about the sale of securities sure. as a fundraising for a business yeah i i don't accept the word fundraising in the context of tokens Right. There are lots of things that a company can sell before it's produced them yeah. and get the revenue in hand before it delivers them. Absolutely. I, that, I, mean, look, I can tell that, you, we, we went through as a company this exact decision. Um, because, but forget we, about it. Forget about it from the company standpoint, because your example is the retail uh, investor standpoint, right? Correct. So every time I go shop on Amazon or any other online store, I am paying them before I get the goods. Sure, but this, I, but I think what you're what you're talking about is like Kickstarter versus crowdfunding, which is what again, that's the decision we went through. You can go on. You can start a Kickstarter, right? I, I did this. I got my 3D printer through a Kickstarter, which involved funding a company to, you know, pre-funding it. And it was not even certain I would ever get that 3D printer. Um, and uh, and that- So why know, was that not the sale of a security? Because I was paying for a 3D printer ahead of time. And I knew that I was getting whoa, a discount. Whoa, slow right? down, slow down. So when you buy a token for a network- Yes. And you pay for that ahead of time, why is that different? Because I had no reasonable expect expectation that the value of my 3D printer was going to change over time, versus but but that's not, the, that's not that, the that's not that's not the team way and get a get a share in that network essentially that the value of that is only 
uh, going to, it's only going to have value if that team is successful in building what they are building. Right. And, and so you're, you are, you are precisely getting to my point, which okay. is there has to be some kind of an arrangement pursuant to which that team is promising people something. Right. Yeah. That is creating that reasonable expectation of profit solely from the efforts of others to right. quote the Howie case, right? right? And you need to have an investment of money and you need to have a common enterprise, right? And so again, I am not saying that the that no investment contract exists. What I am saying is that the token is not the investment contract. The Orange is not the investment contract. The NFT is not the investment contract. The 3D printer is not the investment contract, et cetera, et cetera. That's my point. My point is not that there was not a security, that there was not an investment contract. My point is we need to analyze what is the investment contract? What are the hallmarks of the arrangement the contract transaction or scheme, the arrangement that is the security. And this is tough. I'm not saying this is easy. I don't mean to present this as boom, easy, no big right. considerations here, right? This is tough. This is hard work. It's different than stock in a company. It's different than bonds issued by a company. Those things are part of the capital stack. You can see it, it's easy. People can understand the accounting treatment for it, how to create financial statements about it, how those companies' financial statements might be relevant to the decision to buy that stock or that bond, right? Investment contract is a different animal. And the refusal to recognize that investment contract is a different animal is to my mind causing all of the confusion here and and the refusal to dig down and do the hard work, which by the way is what I learned how to do in law school, which lawyers, that's what we learn how to do in law school. Mm -hmm. We learn how to do this analysis and we learn how to pull these threads apart and say, okay, you know, we have a security here, we have an investment contract here. What are the implications from a disclosure perspective? How should we think about what the disclosure requirements are? How should we think? And we keep going through all of this. I think this whole idea of, oh, there's also easy, it's all securities, it's all fundraising, it's all whatever you want to call it, right? I, I think that that's hiding and that's creating actually more confusion than if people actually sat down and did the hard work. And that's what I try to do. I try to put together groups of people who sit down and do the hard work and it's freaking hard work. I've been in a room, you know, with really smart people and people disagree over whether or not, for example, financial statements should be something that accompany a token sale. And it's I mean, not some easy. Of this, some of this to me feels, I don't want to say semantic, but okay. If the token is not a security, what you're saying is you have to evaluate sort of the sum total of the relationship, the sum total of anything that's being offered and any type of connectivity between somebody who is holding a token and 
the blockchain and the organization behind it and and all of this and so you know each situation in that case is going to be a completely new thing a completely different is is that what you're saying that that every single cryptocurrency has to be evaluated completely on its own according to is there another test you're proposing or is there a way to extend howie to this i mean how do you how do you see it uh, i see it that yes uh every everything has to be evaluated on its own uh and i'm sorry it's not easy um but think about think about think about stocks for a minute right we evaluate individual stocks on their own people want to know about the sure. company and and what it does and what it makes and they want to know about the features of the stock because not every stock not every quote unquote common stock is the same sure. you know you get series a common and series b common and different voting rights and different all of that stuff happens we we spend time evaluating those things always and as human beings when we make investments as opposed to investment contracts when we make investments that's what we do we look at the functions and features of the thing and decide whether or not we want to to buy it and invest in it that's what we do when we invest in art that's what we do when we invest in wine that's what we do when we invest in any kind of collectible um that's what we do when we buy a car that's what we do when we buy a house right this is what human beings do they look at functions and features they look at at all of the important things about a thing to make a decision on whether or not to buy it and if part of that is you know what i really am relying on the team because the team has promised x y and z etc etc um then maybe you do have an investment contract with regard to you making that purchase um yeah, i mean think how many but that doesn't like, make the thing itself hold their team out and that's the, you know the focus of their white paper and you know so many of these things are this is the right team this is a unique offering and technology this money is going to fund that effort and the thing that you're buying the token that you're buying will appreciate in value if the team is successful in realizing this vision and, and so you're you're talking right now about any investment right yeah hey there's a picasso for sale it was painted by picasso and picasso 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 and picasso right and sure. you're you're making that evaluation of whether or not you think it's going to go up in value based on the fact that Picasso painted it. And by the way, if there's some interesting cool story about why he painted it and you know right all of that goes into the value and valuation of the Picasso. So you're you're not saying to to me you're well, not saying Picasso, anything that's I'm not, not giving money and, to Picasso so he can paint it well that's only cuz he's not still alive he's <laughs> right he used to live down the street from the and, Picasso museum too so you know, i love Picasso it's great great museum yeah. and i i have a huge amount of respect for him in part because before he started painting all the weird stuff he was an excellent uh 
painter of yeah. realistic stuff. Most people don't realize um, that. Yeah. Most people don't realize that. And and to me, that just made him makes him even better. Um so 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 look, uh you're not saying to Sotheby's at the auction, I have an expectation of profits due to your Sotheby's actions in selling and promoting this Picasso painting and making it available. And my expectation that you Sotheby's is going to be around in five years when I want to sell this Picasso at a profit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And uh, again, I'm not saying that there's never an investment contract related to tokens. I'm just saying a token is not an investment contract. And when you start to parse what constitutes an investment contract, and I, I keep saying investment contract because that's the word that the statute uses, and people have moved away from the idea that it needs to be an investment contract, and they ignore contract, and they look at investment, and by the way, there's a whole series of investments in the world that are not governed by the SEC. Sure. And they're still financial instruments, right? The Commodity Exchange Act, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Those are all types of investments that are not within the SEC's jurisdiction. And so what I'm saying is, if we're going to say, just because it's an investment, it must be X, a security, we just have to be really careful about taking that approach because we're going to end up in a world where depending on, you know, some kind of way that the light is refracting on a certain day and the magic pixie dust that somebody at the SEC decided to sprinkle, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden my iPhone is an investment contract because, you know, I'm relying on Apple to keep the app store together and, and make it a hospitable place for lots of apps to be there. And, you know, that whole arrangement constitutes the value and blah, blah, blah. And I can make up all kinds of nonsense to prove to you that any iPhone or any iPad or any, is, is an investment, right? But it's not an investment contract. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I think you can separate sort of product sales and products that you buy from, you know, investments. Um, maybe you know, look, I understand. You we're, better we're, be we're, able to, otherwise, the world <laughs> is going to be an awfully it'll funny get real place. weird real quick. But and 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 you know, look, to be fair, uh, there's a good case to be made that the SEC and CFTC are only separate uh, because of you know uh, campaign finance and corruption. Um, and you know with the ag <laughs> committee and and i i will definitely uh, not speculate on that point but <laughs> I know you, <laughs> you go ahead <laughs> yeah i you know it's stupid it's stupid and ridiculous that these are separate agencies and uh but the problem maybe people don't realize this but the problem the reason the sec and cftc are, are not the same agency is because uh the senators and members of congress on the agricultural committee get lots of donations from financial services firms um, and the senators and members of Congress on the Financial Services Bank Committee get lots of contributions from financial services firms, and they like it that way. And so ag has oversight over CFTC, and uh, banking and finance have oversight over the SEC. So uh, I think that's dumb, and they should just be merged, but that won't happen because of politics. Um, but let's, let's 
Just go. But, but we are dealing with two different types of investments. Fair. So, so, but that let, let's go down this path for a second. Um, so, in an, let, let's say in an ideal world, um, we have seen a lot of people lose a lot of money from fraud, and, um, and don't and, commit fraud. And it is right. It is rampant in the blockchain space, and it is rampant in other spaces. But but blockchain is is you know the one where you know well that's what we're here to talk about. That's where you work. That's you know what I. I, I think very highly of the industry, but what do you think is the best way to regulate cryptocurrencies then? And how do we protect investors from fraud in this space? Yeah, so uh, you said the word cryptocurrencies, which I like, and I just wanna make sure we focus on the word cryptocurrencies, right? So we're talking about things like Bitcoin and Ether and Sol and AVAX, right? We're, we're not talking about uh, tokenized assets which are, are different things, right? Okay, Where sure. we take an asset and tokenize it on a blockchain. Um, and, and, and so, you know, sort of a traditional asset that gets tokenized, tokenization of a traditional asset doesn't change the nature of that asset, just a different way to represent it. We could represent it on a piece of paper, we could represent it on a spreadsheet, we can represent it however we choose to represent it on a blockchain, which is different, right? Um, how should we regulate cryptocurrencies? I, I wrote my sensible token classification paper about two and a half years ago with uh, some help from a lot of friends. Um, the basic idea there was that, that there is something new going on here. And that is what I called native DLT tokens. I don't pretend that that's the only way to refer to them, but, but I think they're popularly called cryptocurrencies right now. And, and my view in that paper was you know, look, maybe there is something really new here, something that's different, that, that is outside of the categories uh, that we have traditionally had, and we need to come up with a new way to regulate that. Um, so I actually spend time on Capitol Hill, and that's what I advocate for. I advocate for coming up with a new kind of regulation. I don't want to re-regulate things just because we put them on blockchain, but if we've got something new, and I do think there is something new happening here, that it needs different regulation. Whether that regulation is at the SEC or the CFTC, I, I, I don't express an opinion. Frankly, it could be at the FTC or it could be at a banking regulator or it could be wherever people want to put it. I, I don't really have a view on that. Um, but what I do have a view on is getting a good definition of what we're talking about. And I, I think I have a good definition of what we're talking about in the sensible token classification uh, paper that I did. Um, and then figuring out what regulation makes sense. Um, and there, as I said earlier, th there are tough questions to answer Ooh. here, right? Like um, when you think about buying a token and you think about relying on the team to make the network better or to deliver results or whatever you think about the team doing, does that mean that you want the, the financial statements of the company that's doing that? To, right. Is that going to be just misleading? Is it going to make you think that you have some claim on the assets of the company the way that you do with a stock. Um, and there could be good reasons why you want. I, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't have them. 
I'm just saying it takes more than two seconds of thought uh, as to what kinds of disclosure standards you want to have here and under what circumstances, because there's a lot of new and interesting things happening. And again, this is the hard work that people need to be doing that in, in my experience, at least, is not getting done nearly enough. But it does sound to me like you're basically making the case for securities laws, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're saying if, if we want to regulate these things, even though they're new and we need to figure out how, most of that involves defining what, defining, classifying them, assigning that responsibility to an enforcement authority, establishing where it makes sense, disclosure standards. I mean, you know, you're describing the You only say, you, you only. You only say that it's securities laws because that's where you've spent most of your career, Dave. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so like, I I think you would find it absurd if crypto kitties and crypto punks were subject to the securities laws. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. And and so okay, those are not quote unquote cryptocurrencies. The they may be. They they may they may be. Um, they may be native DLT tokens, depending on, you know, where you come out on that definition. Um, but but it, it does require some thinking about what kind of regulatory scheme you want. And I think one of the things that uh, leads to further confusion here is that these, these assets trade in in liquid marketplaces. That's right. I do I trade agree on that. exchanges. Yeah. It looks and, a lot like a security <clears throat> as we know it, right? It, it looks a lot like a financial instrument maybe would be the word okay. that I would use. Fair enough. Um, because, you know, foreign exchange trades in these kinds of liquid markets and sure. foreign exchange is not securities and swaps and futures trade on liquid markets, and they're not securities. So, and, do you do you think Congress has messed up here? Has Congress dropped the ball? I, you're probably not going to say that because you're engaged with them and such. But, it, you know, it, is the SEC stepping in because people are getting hurt, and there's no real legislative clarity on who should be policing these markets? So, look, as I said at the beginning. I, I understand why the SEC is doing what they're doing, and you know they they have an investor protection role with regard to securities, and they see situations where um, you know people are are subject to scams and fraud and all kinds of things like that. And um, uh, so I, I understand what it is that they're trying to do. Look, I I don't know that it, I. I can't say that anybody has dropped the ball. Maybe I'll say everybody's dropped the ball because, you know, That's we're, we're all supposed to be, answer, Lee. Well, well, but right. Like we're all supposed to be figuring this stuff out together. Yeah. If, if it's, if it's constantly this from all sides, then yeah, we definitely are not going to figure anything out. And, and, you know, uh, I, I can be pretty stubborn and pig headed sometimes and I, I always find that when I'm stubborn and pigheaded, nothing gets resolved. Mm -hmm. And so I have to stop being stubborn and pigheaded. And I got to start thinking about how, how to get something done. 
And, and so, look, uh, we all need to get together and figure some stuff out. So I don't think any one group is, you know, responsible. I think we're all responsible. And by the way, we should all pick up that mantle and assume that responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's a, that's a fair point. Um, and I think we'll, unless you have anything else you wanted to cover, I think we can, we can close it there. I think that's a good way to close it. I, I, I like I like doling out responsibility and then running away. <laughs> Perfect party guest. Eat and run. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, anyway, Lee, thanks for I'll help wash the up. dishes. I always I always help wash well, the dishes. You know what? That's a really unique party guest, I gotta say. <laughs> and one that I appreciate more than you can know. Um but uh, yeah, thanks, Lee, for joining us. Um, I hope as, as we confront this question more and more and there are more and more cases that come out that confuse us, you'll be back to, to help us think about these things uh, in, a, in a meticulous way. I, I think it's very important the way you look at it. And, um, you know, and we'll also link to uh, your Al Explains efforts, which are, I think, the, a, a great way to try and distill some of this information down um cool no no this was great i really enjoyed the conversation dave and and uh you know we started with bruce springsteen and we ended with everybody in the world has responsibility <laughs> so i think we pretty much covered the waterfront today i think we did um and uh yeah so uh, next week actually we're gonna um well i think what we're gonna have uh we're gonna continue to talk crypto uh next week with um, Aaron Kaplan from Prometheum. Uh, they've, they've done some interesting stuff in uh, getting their regulated venue approved and operating. So we're gonna get uh, a taste of the regulated space. And then um, after that, I'm actually excited because uh, we're gonna start this monthly, um, monthly uh, themed episode now uh, where we're actually going to talk markets here on Let's Talk Markets. Um, which, you know, we've been talking market structure up until now, but we're going to start to get into actual markets um, in the near future. So uh, that's going to be some groundbreaking podcasting happening here at Let's Talk Markets. I hope you'll join us for that. Um, and uh, as always, you know, hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, Lee, thanks for joining us. And, My uh, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening and join us next week.